This is a psalm that shows us it's worth it to follow Jesus. The Christian life is not easy. It's a sowing in tears. It's going out weeping. Uh, but the promise is that in Christ, it's actually going to be worth it because we seek to live for the Lord. Well, welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor, and I'm here with my brother, Pastor Daniel Ventura. And I just wanted to say, brother, it's uh, such a joy to be here with you in the office again. This is one of the highlights of my week mm. to come together and just muse over God's word, meditate on the truths that we've been considering together. And so thanks again for carving out this time to talk with me about the text. Absolutely. It's a mutual joy, brother. love uh, spending this time with you and talking about God's word together. And uh, speaking of that, uh, this past week, you preached a wonderful sermon for us. And what, what passage did you preach on and what was the main point? Yeah, we looked at Psalm 126. And the main point is that uh, as we ourselves are journeying towards glory with Christ, we go through various agonies and troubles, difficulties in life. And so we see in this psalm that he looks back, the psalmist looks back on the good things that God has done for us in the past. And that encourages us to pray and hope for God to continue to do good things for us in the future, asking that he would restore us. And so it's a prayer for restoration. And we find in this psalm that truth, that central truth throughout scripture, that God is able to turn great tragedies into great triumphs of his grace. And this psalm actually promises that reality to us. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word, brother. It's such a beautiful psalm for the church, for individual Christians in our own prayers, the own encouragement to look back with joy in what God has done and to have confidence uh, in the present, whatever we're going through, that the Lord is a faithful, faithful Lord. Um, what vivid imagery in this psalm helps us to see some of those key things that you just mentioned? There's quite a bit. It's, it's a short psalm, but there are three images that come out in the very opening line we hear the psalmist as he's reflecting on the past say that we were like those who dream uh, and this refers to the experience that many of us have had in life when we find ourselves in a moment that just seems too good to be true and those moments when we almost even pinch ourselves to to test and make sure that we aren't actually in a dream because it's just such a glorious and happy moment and so we find that in the very beginning as he's reflecting on the past and then as he's praying for restoration there are two illustrations that come out this one restore us like the streams in the negev and negev is that southern region of judah where it was very arid and dry and for most of the year it's this desert place and it has these uh, dried up wadis and so these riverbeds that are there without water but then suddenly when rain comes it all fills up and they come together and it's a sudden bounty of goodness and growth and renewal where we see the dry desert turning into this lush green garden overnight and so a beautiful image there that speaks about the kind of restoration that we long for that god's spirit would come down and revive us. And then the third illustration is a bit juxtaposed with that, the sowing and reaping like a farmer. And this one actually calls not for a sudden bounty of goodness, but patient forbearance. And so they almost seem to be in contrast, the streams of the Negev and that sudden flow of water rushing through the desert. Uh, but they're not in contrast. You know, one is the desire of the psalmist, God pour it out, make it happen. 
And the other one is kind of helping us to manage our expectations that oftentimes in life, he calls us to patient faithfulness. And sometimes the bounty, the harvest comes suddenly, but often it takes a lot of investment from our end of kind of blood, sweat, and tears pouring into the lives of others, into the lives of our children, the life of the church itself, and trusting that in good time, in God's timing, he will give the increase as he sees fit. And so, yeah, we see these illustrations that really capture or help us see how God is able to turn great tragedies into great triumphs of his grace, even as we long for him to do that mm-hmm. in our own lives. That's a good word, brother. Yes, when we look back at what God has done, you see how it provokes us to want to pray for his blessing to show itself again in the present, right? Do it again, Lord. You've seen how you've worked in the past in the scriptures, in church history. Do it again in my life. Do it again in your church. Do it again in my family. Uh, This is a very uh, applicable psalm in that regard. And yeah, those two pictures that you mentioned of the streams in the Negev with sowing um, and reaping, it shows the two different kinds of ways that God can and, and, and does work that we see in the scriptures and in history. Uh, sometimes in extreme times of revival, it's like the streams of the Negev, right? Um, God is just pouring out his blessing in abundance. And through the ordinary means of grace, he's doing extraordinary things that are just above and beyond our, yeah. our, our natural expectations. But oftentimes he often works in that more slow patient, gradual process of sowing and reaping. And you mentioned a couple of areas where we do that. And I think we're doing that even, you know, um, this week, I'm sure, listener, you're in different settings where you're pouring into people, right? You're pouring into your kids, like Pastor Taylor mentioned. Maybe you're witnessing to a coworker of yours. Maybe you're praying for a certain issue in the culture to turn and that God would bring some restoration and these are different areas where, where God is calling us to continue to sow and to sow and to sow in faith. But we trust, as the scriptures say, that it's God who gives the growth to those seeds. And we look to him as we do those things. Amen. No, it's so encouraging to hear. Yeah, and, and this psalm, it comes with a collection of other psalms. Uh, the superscription, which is that little portion above um, the opening uh, prayer, it says a song of ascents. Can you speak about the importance of that superscription and what it means for this psalm? Yeah, absolutely. So Psalms 120 to 135 all bear that title, Song of Ascents. And it's likely that this collection was originally used by the Jewish pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem for the different festivities that God called them to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate together as a covenant people of God. Each psalm is relatively short, short enough to even be memorized for meditation as they traveled by foot or by donkey along the way. They could meditate on these particular psalms and guide them in their journey. The noun translated ascents is from the Hebrew root, meaning to go up, and Psalm 122 verse 4 points out that it was decreed that the tribes would go up regularly to Jerusalem. 
What's fascinating is that scholars have observed how the concept of pilgrimage or the metaphor of pilgrimage shapes the whole collection. And when we go back to the first one, Psalm 120, we see that the speaker starts off outside of Jerusalem and even outside of the promised land. And he says, woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I am among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. And so we find here at the very outset, he's a longing for the city of peace, the city of Shalom called Yerushalim, which means the city of peace. Then the next imagery of Psalm 121 makes really good sense for this. Starting off of that journey, he sees the mountains off in the distance as he's beginning to journey and he's concerned about slipping and stumbling along the way. And in the last line we read, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. And so it's really fitting to the pilgrim as he begins his journey towards Jerusalem. And Psalm 122 is perhaps the clearest, most explicit pilgrimage psalm. It begins saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then it says later, to Jerusalem, the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel. Then following in Psalms 123 to 125, they all emphasize during that journey, during that pilgrimage, that the Lord is our help. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amidst the enemies and trials along the perilous journey towards Jerusalem, we find help in the Lord our God. And then we come to Psalm 126, and it's as if we've arrived in Jerusalem. And it's probably not a coincidence that this psalm is the seventh in the collection, which is the number of perfection. And it marks that joyous occasion. You can almost picture it of the pilgrims there arriving in God's city and beginning the festivities with the rest of God's people. And from Psalm 126 to 134, we find petitions now for God to heal and to bless his people there in his city, Jerusalem, as they're gathered in that place. And 126 in particular, that psalm is a great longing for full restoration of God's people and his city, uh, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Yet, to keep us from trying to do it all in our own strength, to try and do it by the flesh and not by faith, Psalm 122 immediately follows saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We find that the restoration that we so long for, that's captured in Psalm 126, it must be God-made, not man-made. And then as we make our way towards the end of the collection in Psalm 133, it's kind of the pinnacle of the celebration, maybe fitting to the last night of the sanctified partying going on there in the city of Jerusalem and it highlights the beautiful unity of God's people gathered together in Zion where God ordained his blessing forevermore. And in the very last psalm, which is a very short one in this collection, Psalm 134, it's this beautiful benediction upon God's people, this blessing that he gives over them or puts over them as they leave the city and return back to their homes concluding with this line, may the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. And so it's really helpful to see this psalm in its larger context and its collection of the psalms of ascents. Mm, That's really beautiful, brother. It does, 
I think, add another layer of richness to this psalm and to the psalms here in general and also how it applies to us and just being pilgrims on the way to the heavenly Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, right? So we could see how these can be psalms that we could take upon our own lips and apply also to our own experience. And uh, speaking of that, how is this passage at work in your own heart? Mm. It's been working on my heart, brother. <laughs> um, because at times, you know, we feel dried up. We see the brokenness around us in society, in our own hearts. And I deeply resonate here with this passionate and imaginative plea for God to show up as he has in the past. And he has time and time again in redemptive history and in church history. He's showed up and he restored his people. And I long for him to do that as well for me. Um, I long for restoration in all kinds of areas of life. I want greater shalom uh, of God to break into my own heart and bring restoration and healing and greater order and Christ-likeness as well into my own family and extended family to see more peace and harmony and unity and in our church as well you know we pray for these kinds of things that the Lord would continue to uh, bless his congregation here in this place and richly pour out his spirit that we might all come to greater unity in faith and uh, see great fruitfulness in our own lives and also extending to our neighbors in the community around us even beyond that we can pray for God's restoration in our country and even planet Earth itself, which is broken and, and in a sense bound to the curse, as Paul talks about in Romans 8, longing for liberation from the corruption to which it's been held captive under the curse of sin and death. So there's so much brokenness around us and still deep within us. We need healing and we need God's shalom to break into our lives and so that challenges me that instead of growing bitter and complaining about all that brokenness, which is my natural disposition to just end up complaining, this psalm helps me by showing me the correct way to process that, to follow the lead of the psalmist first by recalling how God has worked in the past, worked great things for his people in the past, and he has promised to do even greater things for us in the future through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We should recall the past, and also based on that, based on how God showed up in the past, I should request and petition and prayer that God's restoration would presently come in to my life and different areas of my life. That's a good word, brother. I resonate with that as well. And, you know, in many ways, we're even more privileged than the psalmist here and the people of God here as we look back on God's faithfulness and we get to see it through all of the scriptures supremely in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what God is able to do um, in bringing about our salvation and that greatest triumph out of that tragedy. And so we have so many reasons for joy as we look back and so many reasons for hope because uh, we know how the story ends. God has given us the scriptures as a guide for us in our pilgrim journey and he hasn't left us in the dark mm. in regards to how things are going to go we know that the story ends in joy and though the sorrow may last for the night right uh, joy comes with the morning mm. and those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy that is a a promise that has been secured mm. for us uh, by jesus and his resurrection and so we have such hope and we have so many good reasons to petition the lord in the present for that restoration and for that blessing as the psalmist is praying for here. 
Yeah, that is so comforting, brother, and encouraging that, you know, despite the pains and difficulties that we each face along the way in our journey, that we belong to God and he's able to turn even the greatest tragedies into greater triumphs of his grace. And as I quoted from C.S. Lewis in the sermon, a, a wonderful quote, he says, Some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory we have that great hope that god is going to turn all of our worst agonies in life into a greater glory and we will reap that in the future now we will reap as well in this life some fruit of joy after dry seasons of barrenness but ultimately it is pointing forward to that great hope that we have when we arrive in glory when we wake up in the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven we too will be like those who dream as this psalm opens up and our mouths will be filled with joyful laughter and our tongues singing songs of joy together there when we see jesus face to face in the fullness of god's shalom here restored on earth and covering the face of all of god's good creation it will be glorious, far more than we can even imagine. Yes, and that ties in with the with the next thing that we want to think about, which is how does this passage give us a bigger and better understanding of Jesus? Yeah, you know, as we're talking about that great hope that is there before us, the end of our journey, what assurance do we have that we will get there, that we will arrive? Well, Jesus, he is the one who guarantees this living hope of inexpressible joy to come. When we look back at the life of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, we see how God took the tragedy of Jesus' death and turned it into the greatest triumph of his grace by raising him from the dead. And he did that for us. We find that Jesus went out sowing his blood in tears on the cross. And he rose again from the dead to reap us up from sin and death. Uh, he did that for the joy that was set before him. And Jesus was the seed, as he says in John, that went into the ground, who rose up from the dead to produce much fruit. And he rose out of the tomb, carrying his elect ones, his chosen ones, as the bundles of joy that he now delights in and over. Jesus' death and resurrection is the promise, the guarantee, the historic reality that's pointing forward to that future promise of glory that we too shall in due time reap the joy of God's kingdom by faith in him. And so, yeah, this psalm shows us in that sense who Jesus is as we look back to that greater act of God's redemption through the person and work of Christ. Now, Pastor Daniel, as we think about these things, how does this apply to different people in our own congregation? Yes, as you mentioned in the superscription, this is a psalm that is for us in our pilgrim journey. And in our Christian life, we find ourselves in many times in different spots. You know, maybe if you're listening to us, dear listener, and you're in a dry season of life spiritually and you feel like God is far away or you feel like um, the presence of God isn't near you when you're reading your Bible or praying, uh, this is a very important psalm that you could take upon your own lips that God inspired for you and for his church to pray that that God would restore our fortunes, that he would allow those streams to flow upon us like the streams in the Negev. 
and to remember that God delights in answering those kinds of prayers. And he is a faithful God. And so he will continue to minister to us in whatever season of life we're in. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're discouraged when you are laboring in different areas of life, maybe raising your kids or in your marriage or in a particular friendship or relationship, and you feel like you're investing a lot, you're pouring yourself into a person or a situation, maybe you're counseling someone, and you don't see them changing, you don't see any growth. Well, this is a kind of psalm that we could hold on to about sowing in tears, but reaping with shouts of joy. And remembering again that God is the one who brings the growth in his perfect timing. So there's many different ways that this psalm could, I think, speak to us at those various points, those various seasons of our pilgrim journey. But brother, I'm curious your thoughts as well. No, yeah, I loved everything you were saying. And one thing that jumps out to me is how just this past week, as I felt dried up and a bit burdened by various troubles that were kind of compiling on top of each other, And Ariana responded saying, remember, Taylor, that one day you will wake up in the kingdom Mm. of God and it will be like a dream. It will be glorious. And God is promising to bring us there to that end. And so, yeah, even just with the smallest troubles and difficulties of each week, you know, this psalm is such an encouragement to each and every one of us. Yes, and this is a psalm too. If you're listening and you're skeptical about the Christian faith or maybe you've strayed and you find yourself just listening to this, this is a psalm that shows us it's worth it to follow Jesus. The Christian life is not easy. It's a sowing in tears. It's going out weeping. It's following the path of Jesus and the way of the cross. Uh, But the promise is that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy And that in Christ, we know that all of our labors are not in vain, but it's actually going to be worth it. Everything that we do today and this week as we seek to live for the Lord. Amen. And as we think about this psalm, brother, as we close, uh, what verse jumps out at you uh, from this text that we can commit to memory? Yeah, I think verses 4 and 5 in particular kind of summarize the heart of this psalm where we hear that plea for restoration. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. May we commit that to memory. May we meditate on that continually. And in those times of difficulty, call it to remembrance and ask God to do that for us, to restore our fortunes, to uh, bring us that refreshment by the Holy Spirit and take us from one degree of glory to the next, according to his promises. Thank you all for listening. It's been a joy and pleasure again, and we'll touch base with you again next week.